Joy is a key theme through the whole story of the Bible. And one thing I love about these Bible project videos, despite their speed, is that they don't go in for what we could call proof texting. And proof texting is when you pick a verse out of Ezekiel or wherever that proves your point. Whereas these Bible project videos look at the whole sweep of the Bible, not just at one verse or one passage, and look at what God's, God's word says across the whole, the whole sweep. So... My first experience with the word joy was as a young child in Sunday school. There were several songs about joy, and one of them went like this. I'm looking around hoping that a few of you are old enough to know this song, and I think I'm safe. So I'll actually sing it, and if you know it, join in. So it went like this. Joy, 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 with joy my heart is ringing. Joy, 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 his love to me is known. My sins are all forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, my heart is bubbling over with its joy, joy, joy. Feel pleased if you didn't know it, because it means you're young. <laughs> everyone, everyone over about 50 was joining in. <laughs> so. Okay, so that was my first experience of the word joy. I've, I actually have a problem with this song, and I'm just about to use two long words to explain why. I had no problem with the propositional bit, and that bit means the bit about truth, the statement about truth. My sins are all forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. Yes, great, no problem. But I did have a problem with the experiential bit, the part about how I experience life. I wasn't experiencing much in the way of ringing bells and bubbling over. And to be honest, over the years, I've struggled at times with feeling low and anxious and have rarely felt like I'm bubbling over. That kind of joy has been with me at times, but has been an elusive visitor rather than a constant companion, a kingfisher rather than a blackbird, maybe, to use a metaphor. I'll talk more about that elusive visitor later. So, do we need to get someone else up here to talk about joy? Someone who does experience that bubbling over and ringing of bells on a daily basis? So, if that's you, I am, I think, genuinely pleased for you. And if anyone wants to come up here and talk for the next 20, 20 I nearly said 20 years, <laughs> that would be a bit much. Um, none of us will be joyful at the end of that. Um, so 20 minutes about joy, you're very welcome to do so. Okay, I was taking a bit of a risk there, but I wasn't really expecting a takeover, as I don't expect that that effervescent type of joy is the constant experience of many of us. So, should we add our deficiency in joy to our long list of faults and failures? Should we be bubbling over all the time and we're somehow not making the grade? Or is that not really the core of what joy is about? The video talked about sources of joy in the Bible. And some of those are the good things of God's creation enjoying the stunning beauty of God's world, sometimes being overwhelmed with a deep joy beyond words through the beauty of a sunset or a storm. I've heard this referred to as glimpses of glory. Human relationships, when they're going well, are also seen as a source of joy, as are good God's provision of good food and drink. But then it referred to the unique 
biblical perspective on joy, the presence of joy even within the brokenness of our damaged world. And it said it's an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God. No bells ringing, no bubbling, a settled, determined attitude despite circumstances. Let's revisit that picture of joy that was referred to in Exodus. The people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt and God miraculously delivers them, takes them out of Egypt and then rescues them from certain death as they stand between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. God opens the sea before them and they explode with joy. Some of the words are up on the screen there. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my deliverer. He has become my salvation. And then, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. They are not in the promised land. They're still in the wilderness. But they're celebrating what God has done, what he's already done, and what they believe he is going to do. The joy of God's people is not determined by their struggle, but by their future destiny. In my own experience, something very deeply painful happened in our family a few years ago. I can't explain the details in public, but it took us to a place of severe anxiety and fear, the involvement of the police and a breakdown in relationships, which continues to this day, sadly. Even now, we can't celebrate Christmas as a family of six. We have to have two celebrations because there are family members who won't or can't be together. In the midst of that pain, I just felt like running away and hiding. And I was comforted by verses like this one. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. A real sense of hiding in God's protection in the midst of trouble. However, I gradually realised that God was saying, I don't just want you to hide away, but to flourish and even to rejoice under my protection. That's what I want to do for you if you'll trust me with this situation. And then I found another verse. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Not just about surviving in hiding but about flourishing and singing despite the different difficult circumstances. This is the work of God's Spirit, to produce joy that is completely out of step with our circumstances. We see in Galatians 5.22 that joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I believe it also takes our commitment to cooperate with God, with what God is doing, and our willingness to trust and love him, even when circumstances are screaming at us not to. A song that helped me express this to God was one with this line, When hope is gone, I'll call you saviour. When pain surrounds, you'll be the song within my heart. We're going to have a break in just a moment from me talking for a few minutes and sing or listen to this song. Some of us may be able to sing the words easily and mean them with no, well, not much difficulty, For others, we may be struggling to get to a place where we can say these words to God. And we may be singing it and saying to God, this is what I'd like to be able to say, but I'm not there yet. Please help me. 
That's okay. Be honest with yourself and with God. It's not easy, and it doesn't always come naturally to say these words of love and trust to God when life feels badly broken. So I'm going to hand back to John for a minute to lead this song, and then I'll continue. Coming back to our theme of joy... Coming back to our theme of joy and into the New Testament, we saw in the video how the birth of Jesus was announced as good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This may be our first official mention of Christmas, so I'll move on quickly. (laughs) At least I'm trying to. We're stuck on Christmas, I'm afraid. Ah, that's it. We also see how Jesus experienced deep joy through the Holy Spirit as he saw God's good purposes being worked out through his fallible and weak disciples. He says, I praise you, Lord, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He experienced this joy despite the terrible suffering that he knew was coming to him. We read later in Hebrews how Jesus for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy was not in the suffering, it was beyond the suffering. He endured the suffering because joy would come out of it, not because the suffering itself was somehow joyful. As I was preparing, I had a strong urge to say more about this, although it might seem like something of an aside from the topic of joy. So it's perhaps something that somebody here particularly needs to hear this morning. I don't find in scripture that God has planned and ordained our suffering and that we should thank and praise him for it. I don't know whether you've heard teaching like that. It's certainly around. I think that view actually insults God. He's not the author of evil. God created a good and beautiful world without suffering, without death without cancer, depression, family breakdown, tears and torment. The world is broken and damaged by the historic rebellion of the human race and the choices of each generation add to this brokenness. But God is in the business of recreating his beautiful but broken creation. Partial now, but we believe there will be a day when that recreation will be complete. God sometimes allows our suffering He does not always rescue us from the consequences of living in a broken world. He calls us to love and trust and praise him despite our suffering, not for it. And we praise him knowing that he is the divine alchemist who can bring gold out of the dirt if we trust it to him. But please know, if you are weeping, that God is weeping with you. The brokenness of his beautiful world hurts him even more than it hurts you. There is no crass message, just be joyful, it's all okay. It's profoundly not okay, and God agrees that it's not okay. That's what the cross was about. God began his plan of recreation from the moment human rebellion damaged his creation, and perhaps even before that moment. God has stepped in to rescue us as he delivered Israel from Egypt. 
We see in John chapter 11 how Jesus wept at the graveside of Lazarus. Why was that? For the loss of his beloved friend? No, I don't think so, because he already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from death. I believe that he wept because his heart was broken by the despair that he saw around him in the face of death, and that everything within him was crying out, it wasn't meant to be like this. God is with us in our suffering as one who has suffered. He is not sitting remotely, indifferently. The work of Jesus on the cross is complete, but the outworking of this in our lives and in the world is still ongoing. He is working to redeem our brokenness, and one day that work will be complete. Christian author Tony Campolo writes about a time when an agonised father asked him, so where was God when my son died? And Tony replied with tears, God was in the same place he was when his own son died. So God is with us in our suffering. He knows what we go through. Coming back to the video, there was this magnificent line that Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce that he was the risen king of the world. Wow, what a commission. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, the followers of Jesus were known for being full of joy and hope in the midst of hardship. This was a fruit of God's spirit in them. So, for example, in Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas, when driven out of a city by persecution, being full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And in Philippians, we see Paul praying with joy and exhorting others to rejoice from his prison cell. Quoting from the video again, when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable, even in the darkest circumstances. It's not about ignoring or suppressing our sorrow. In 2 Corinthians, we see Paul describe his position as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. He's not denying pain, but saying that we experience sorrow and joy alongside each other. As he acknowledged his pain, Paul also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss would not be the final word. I'm going to return briefly to our family story to anchor this in real life. I know there isn't anything more dramatic or spiritual about our story than anyone else's. I know that many of us have gone through very challenging times and perhaps we should share our stories more often of how God's grace has brought us through those times. But in that darkest time in our family, when I felt overwhelmed by distress, I came across a song which helped me express my trust um, that my loss and my distress was not the final word. And it went like this. I'm not going to sing this time. Life could take, take every dream away. You'd still be my risen one, the place where my hope comes from. Life could break. You'd still be my saving grace, my promise of all to come, the place where my hope comes from. And for a year or so, that became my anthem. I remember one day sifting through the debris of an abandoned bedroom, deeply distressed by the evidence I found there. I remember sitting on the floor with the disappointment of my hopes for this beloved child almost overwhelming and through my tears quietly singing those words, life could take, take every dream away, 
you'd still be my risen one, the place where my hope comes from. As Paul did 2,000 years ago, so in the midst of the stress and distress that we all experience at times, we can experience God's consolation and even joy through God's spirit and through our own choice to anchor ourselves in trust in him. Like the Israelites in the desert, we can be joyful despite our circumstances because we are looking back to what God has already done and we are looking forward to the ultimate, ultimate realisation of God's purposes, the new heaven and earth promised in the scriptures when evil will be fully and finally defeated. We'll come to a final Bible passage about this in a moment, but first, thinking about looking forward to the full realisation of God's purposes. I want to tell you about one more thing that happened to me. Throughout my life, I've generally been pretty confident about our future hope of being in heaven with Jesus. Some of you know that my mum died last year, less than 15 months after my dad. When mum knew she was dying, she could have chosen to focus on her suffering. She was very poorly, with cancer secondaries in both her lungs. She was weak, she was in pain, increasingly dependent, which she hated. But when her friends phoned, she didn't tell them all that. I would hear her say with a voice of wonder rather than distress, Pauline, I'm going to heaven. So it was just that sense of joy and assurance in going to be with Jesus. We sang hymns of solid Christian hope and joy at her funeral, expressing our certainty of that glorious future in heaven with Jesus and our loved ones. But in the weeks after mum died, I missed her so much and the doubts started to creep in. I so much longed for what I had always believed to be true, that I would see her again and I would know her and talk to her in this glorious future. But what if it was just wishful thinking? I was walking around the lake at Ferry Meadows on a beautiful winter's day, probably December last year, talking to God about my sadness and asking him to give me a sense of assurance of the truth of that future longed-for kingdom. As I walked, the words, full of glory, suddenly came into my mind. I couldn't place them, but had a feeling that they were part of a longer sentence that I couldn't remember. So, as you do these days, I googled them when I got home, and I found they were part of this phrase from the King James Version of the Bible, joy unspeakable and full of glory. As I haven't read the King James Version for about 45 years... I felt that that was from God, that God was dropping these words into my mind from the distant past, reassuring me that what I had believed about heaven was true and reliable. And that was a turning point in recovering from my grief about losing mum and dad. And now we're going to read um, from 1 Peter chapter 1, the passage that includes those words that encourage me, reading now from the NIV. I've put some Farsi on here, so I hope the guys at the back can see it. I'm not offering to read it for them. <laughs> you see it? Can you see that? <laughs> They're not answering me. Okay, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage sums up what we've been saying as we've looked across the Bible at the concept of Christian joy. It's based firstly on what God has already done for us. So we see here in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's historical, it's done, it's already completed. We've also seen that joy is rooted in what God is going to do the glorious future he has prepared for us. Here it says an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. We also see how joy can counterbalance the sharpness of our suffering. In all this you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And finally, in this passage, perhaps the greatest source of joy, not only what God has done for us, but what he's going to do in future, magnificent as those are, we also have the joy in knowing the presence of the Jesus who we have come to love. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is the joy unspeakable and full of glory that I referred to, inexpressible and glorious joy, and it's all about Jesus. And to end, I'm just going to come briefly back to something I said at the beginning about the bubbling over kind of joy, in my experience being an elusive visitor, rather than a constant companion, a, king, a kingfisher rather than a blackbird. While I was preparing for this, I read C.S. Lewis's autobiographical work, Surprised by Joy. He's best known for writing the Narnia Chronicles for children, but he was also a, a fine theologian. Lewis takes a different perspective on joy. He was, I don't, some of you may know his story, he was a determined atheist. He was not looking for God. But Lewis experienced acute stabs of desire and longing for God, for the God who at that point he didn't believe in, which drew him towards faith. And he describes those moments of intense otherworldly longing as being surprised by joy. C.S. Lewis didn't expect those moments. He couldn't command them or control them. They were a gift of grace that drew him towards God and filled him with a longing that he couldn't explain which he came to believe could only be met in God. So I would say that something like that has been my experience on occasion too. There have been moments of that bubbling over, ecstatic joy, 
and I'm sure that many of you could relate similar experiences. As I thought about those, more often than not, they were in unglamorous places, so either in a time when I was really struggling and life was really dark, or in a time when I did something that I believed God wanted me to do, when I obeyed God, even though I didn't really want to. So those moments of real bubbling over sort of joy have not been in the easiest places, let's say. Um, They've often been fleeting, a bit like glimpsing a kingfisher rather than a blackbird that you might see regularly in your garden. Those moments when we have them are wonderful gifts from our Father, but we don't live our lives searching for elusive kingfishers, for bubbly experiences. We live our lives, as we've been hearing this morning, on the solid ground of joy that is based on celebrating what God has done for us already, rejoicing in what we believe he will do for us in the future, and knowing that our beloved Jesus is with us in whatever lies between. Amen.